Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Love that song. Again, we're super excited you're hanging out with us, spending a little bit of your Christmas Eve with us. And uh, I've said this the last couple of years, but the older I get, the more I get up for Christmas. I don't know what, what that's all about, but I just, every year, I just seem to get a little bit more excited about Christmas. And you would think that Christmas Eve services, especially, you know, at a, for a pastor at a church would be, you know, some of the most looked forward to services of the year. But can I be honest with you? These services, Christmas Eve services, tend to be some of the most difficult for pastors. Here's, here's why. I'll be a little vulnerable. The first one is this, is that most of you already kind of know a little bit about the Christmas story. My guess is the majority of you have already been to a Christmas Eve service in the past, which means you kind of already know what I'm going to talk about. And none of you are going to get in the car after this service and, and drive home and go, man, that preacher, whoo, that content was so fresh, you know, you I just had never heard about that, this, a baby. Did you ever hear about this baby that was so radical? You know, nobody's, nobody's probably doing that. You're going to be hanging around Christmas dinner tomorrow and go, can I, just, can I just say something? Matt, when he brought up those wise men and shepherd and angels, I'd never heard that before. That was insane that he just got into the scriptures like that. I mean, nobody's really impressed with the content of Christmas. And so I'm going to let the content of Christmas speak for itself because I realize it's the same story every year, and yet it's, a, it's an unbelievable story. And so we've got to talk about it. The other reason is this, is that um, half of you don't even want to be here, okay? That's the truth of it. Half of you don't, you don't even know why you're here. We have such a diverse group of people. We've got some young people. We've got some old people. Who in the room's over 60? Make some noise right now. Yeah. Old people getting up for Christmas, you know what I'm talking about? We've got single people, we got married people, we have people who live in town, we have people here who, who are from out of town and you're here visiting family and this is the church they go to, so you're here. We, we have people who, who believe in Jesus, we have people who still have a lot of questions about Jesus, we have people who were here the last four weeks and we have people here who weren't here till since last Christmas Eve, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we've got a variety of people and, uh, and it's fun to look out into the crowd because half of you, the whole time I'm up here, you're just mean mugging me, you know what I mean? You don't want to be here. I love picking on the boyfriends that are in the room. So many boyfriends in the room today don't want to be here. You know what I'm saying? But you're hanging out because, you know, she's cute and she wanted to be here. But I can tell you don't want to be here. Maybe the largest group in the room is what I call the candlelight enthusiasts. You know what I mean? You're here because you are looking to play with some fire here eventually. You've done it every single year of your life, and so you're not going to miss out on this one. In fact, last year, I kid you not, we, and we try to keep these messages a little bit shorter on Christmas Eve, but last year, I was getting near the end of my message, and I saw in uh, some of our services people lighting their candle, like not even waiting for me, like, let's go, preacher, I'm ready to go. You know, it's candle lighting time, and I get it, I get it, and we're going to do that. Trust me, we wouldn't dare not play with fire, you know, on Christmas, because I know it's a such a big deal, but this is such a diverse group of, of people. And so here's the question, especially if you're here, you know, this morning and you're, you're not about, you know, God and, and church freaks you out and you're only going to come once every, in a blue moon. I totally get it because the Christmas story is a really unbelievable story and it's a lot to take in. But, but if you're here and you don't even believe in God or, or Jesus, I just want you to think about something. Isn't it, isn't it wild that we're all hanging out this morning? 
Isn't it it interesting that, you know, even here, okay, even in the Tri-Town or Frederick campus, we're probably over our four services going to get close to about 3,000 people that are going to come into this room and hang out over four services. Isn't Isn't that wild? And whether you believe in God or not, you know why. I know why we're here, because it's somebody's birthday, isn't it? Come on, you don't even have to believe in God, and you know tomorrow, December 25th, whose birthday is it? Yeah, it's Jesus' birthday. Some of you don't even, you know, you don't even believe in them, but you're like, yeah, that's why we're here. Because tomorrow, December 25th, is the day that Jesus was born. Well, maybe. Maybe not. And some of you are like, I told you, I told you. Maybe not. In in fact, you know, we actually don't know the exact day, and I know this is ruining some of your Christmases, but we got about a one in 365 chance, okay, that it is... Here's actually what happened about 300 years after Jesus was born, the church got together and was like, hey, this was a really big deal, wasn't it? The son of God being, being born into our world and then 33 years later died on the cross. So we should really like, we should remember this. And, and so they worked really hard. Now there is some kind of, some things in the scripture that kind of lead us to the, the season of the year, the time of year, but really all the smart people got into the room and, and December 25th was actually picked for a very symbolic reason. The, the church looked at the, our yearly calendar, and, and in light of winter solstice, which is the, the day of the year when, the, when essentially, and again, I'm, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm talking about stuff I don't even know about right now. But essentially, the earth is tilted in such a way that it is farthest from the sun. And so in the northern hemisphere, that's in December. In the southern hemisphere, that's in June. I'm doing a pretty good job right now, okay? So this is... Um, and it is, the, it is the day of the year when there is the least amount of light, meaning it's dark. And usually in the midst of darkness, it's cold. And so the church leaders got together and they said, you know what, this would make sense because in that calendar year, winter solstice was happening on December 25th. And they said, you know what we should do to remind ourselves, and again, so symbolic, we should remind ourselves how significant Jesus being born on this planet is that we will pick the darkest and coldest day of the year. And so they went with December 25th to remind them that Jesus is a light. And he stepped into to your darkness and, and mine. And, and so this is why we, we've chosen uh, December 25th. Now, again, this is uh, incredibly interesting, especially if, if you're not a Christian, you're hanging out with us this morning, because there's going to be billions of people all over this world. Many of whom think, you know, December 25th is actually their birthday. You can use that on them, okay? Yeah, you know, probably not, but maybe it is. But billions of people all over the world are doing what you're doing, getting together to remember, to remember the birth of this baby. And, it, and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's really unbelievable. It's really hard to explain because when you kind of hear the narrative of the story, it doesn't even make sense. 2,000 years ago, 7,000 miles away from here, in a little town called Bethlehem, and I'm telling you, the only reason why you have heard of Bethlehem is because of Jesus. A peasant girl, a teenage peasant girl, got pregnant. And nine months later, she delivered a baby and they named him Jesus. And this, this little guy was a very interesting guy. We, had, we don't know a ton about his childhood, but he would eventually grow up and begin teaching things and saying things that many people begin to wonder if there's a little bit more to this kid. Eventually he will turn 30 and he creates this 
his, his earthly ministry, he creates this groundswell, this movement that we now call the church, but he starts it with some guys that you wouldn't have picked. A couple of fishermen, some tax collectors, and he starts saying all kinds of crazy stuff and people really buy into it and they follow him because this guy claimed not only to be the son of God, but also claimed that he could offer something that you needed and I needed and it was the forgiveness of sins. And people bought in and they followed him. And he, and he did ministry for three years, all kinds of things, just loving on people and serving people and healing people. And he, he said wild things like the only way to get to the father was through him. Things that would not play well in our culture today. And come to find out, didn't play well for him 2,000 years ago because the things that he was talking about would eventually get him killed. He was a threat to the religious system. The temple was really uncomfortable because they kind of had a grasp and control on how this whole religion thing worked. And then all of a sudden this guy who claimed to be the son of God showed up and said that he could forgive the sins, not just for some, but for all. The Roman Empire saw him as a threat and an uprising. So eventually these two will collaborate and have this baby who now is 33 years old killed. That's why you're here. It's an unbelievable story. And then it gets even more crazy because after that guy dies, everybody who followed him was depressed. Nobody thought that he was, <clears throat> this movement was gonna continue because they thought what you thought, that dead people stay dead. And this guy died and then apparently, or the story goes, a couple of days later, this is Easter, he, he comes back from the dead showing his followers that he has the power and authority to, to overcome death. He surely then can forgive sins and he calls now this group of people to, to be the church and Jesus will ascend into heaven, reminding reminding his crew the kind of the same thing at the heart of the Christmas message when Jesus comes to earth when Jesus ascends into heaven he says and don't don't forget this don't mistake this I will be always I'll always be with you that's why you're here that's why there's such a diverse group of people here because of a story that is really difficult to believe and yet many of us are banking our whole life on it that God would love you so much that he would kind of create or hit the play button on the story of Christmas. So I just wanna read you a couple of verses from the Christmas story. This is why we're here, okay? Before we light some candles, let's just read a couple of things. All right, here's what it says. Matthew chapter one, starting at verse 18, says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that means they did not make out yet, okay? She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because, and look at this, he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said and through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and look at this, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is a proximity story. It's a distance kind of story. 
This baby is Emmanuel now. This is God with us. This is not God created us, although that is true. This is not God thinks about us, which is true, but this is not this story. This is not God is in heaven above us, which is true, but this is not this story. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Us. And that changes the game a little bit. That means that this God who walked on this planet that we're walking on also breathed the same air we're breathing. He entered into the, the, the same tensions and realities of life that, that we feel every single day. This is such an incredible big deal. This is God with us. And this is what Christians have been trying to capture when they symbolically chose December 25th as, as the day, as Jesus' birthday, as to celebrate his birth. And on the darkest and coldest of days, this is a God who chose to be with us. That God entered, entered the darkness as a light, totally unexpected. Nobody really saw it coming. And it would become the greatest expression of love, I think, in history. If you're ever wondering, if you're here this morning going, does God really love us? I think Christmas is the beginning to prove that that's true. God, wherever he came from, I assure you was much better than the place he arrived. God knows you and loves you, and so he entered into the chaos. Now, the Gospel of John doesn't actually talk about or share the Christmas story, but it does record probably the most quoted, well-known verse in all the Bible. In fact, if you've never even, you know, go to church or grew up in church, you probably have heard this verse somewhere along the way. I think, though, it's actually a very short form, only 26 words that really simplifies and helps us understand what is happening at Christmas. This is John 3, 16. It says this, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And again, look at this. We just read about this in the Christmas story that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christmas is a story of love. But here's the tension a little bit with the Christmas story because in our culture, love is flippant. It can shift and change at any given Moment. And a lot of times it's not even sustainable. And oftentimes, some of you have these stories, it's not even safe. And I would argue that in the context of our culture, we don't even really have language for love anymore. I'll prove it to you. I love Chick fil A. Anyone else in here love Chick fil A? Yeah. Not open today, but they should be. I love Chick fil A. The, uh, two weeks ago, we got a puppy at our house. I love my puppy. I love my puppy. I'd show you a picture, but then you wouldn't think about Jesus anymore, okay? I love her. She snuggles with me every night. I love her. I, I love my sports team, you know, New York Giants, go Giants, you know. Yeah, it's okay. You're not doing much better, okay? And check this out. And I love my family. I love my spouse. I love my kids. So right there, I just told you I love food. I love animals. I love sports teams, and I love people. So love, you know, depending on how you use it, right, we, it kind of loses a little bit of its oomph in the language. It doesn't really allow us to go deeper, which means, and here's, here's the problem, which means there's a lot of times we don't really know what we're saying when we say the word love. We just kind of use it and just, it goes. And for many of us, we fall into the trap that love is purely emotive. It can be fallen into and out of. 
And depending on how, you know, usually it's depending on how, how the other person makes you feel, how happy they make you. And so a lot of times you say, you make me happy, so I love you. Welcome to middle school and high school dating. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dad, I'm so in love. You know, I'm like, you know nothing about love. What you are feeling is, is how that person is treating you. It's making you feel good, but don't mistake that feeling as love. Baby girl, you're just dipping your toes into that pool right now. Dad, I love him. And I'm going, you don't even know him. You just love how he makes you feel. What they're experiencing in that moment is not really love for someone else. That's just you loving you. I love how I feel. Keep making me feel like this. I love it. It's not really love. Where are my married folks at? Come on, make some noise, married folks. Yeah. Yeah, know all kinds of things about love, don't you? You've learned so much, you know what I'm saying? You remember some of the mistakes you made about love, and then you got married, and you're like, what is this, you know? You start learning things because many of us, before we got married, our idea of love is, was that our expectation that our spouse was going to do whatever we needed them to do to keep us happy, right? And, and your spouse's expectation of you is that you're going to do anything you could do to make them happy. You may not have said it. You may not have been able to explain it, but you were thinking it. This is going to be amazing. This person is going to do whatever I need for them to keep me happy for the rest of my life. I would sign up for that, you know what I mean? And so these two people, they jump into this relationship called marriage. But the problem is, is that kind of thinking doesn't actually lead you to real love. And here's why, because if love is you making me happy, then I will never be able to show you my weakness. I'll never able to be known. And friends, here's the trap. If you're ever gonna be fully loved, you. You have to be fully known. The trap in relationships is this. If I see your weakness, then I'm definitely not going to be happy. <laughs> Don't show me your weaknesses. Don't show me the bad. Only show me the good. Just love me and serve me all the time. Do it. You know what I mean? I only want to see your strengths. In our 20s, right, a lot of us, we, we dated like this. I always tell people, you know, we used to date like used car salesmen. You know what I mean? And if you sell used cars, God bless you. I love you. I don't have anything against you. Just lower the prices a little bit right now, okay? But here's the thing. We used to date like used car salesmen. You would show up and the car salesman would be like, look at this. It's amazing. It's only 20 years. I get it. It's 20 years old, but it's going to run like a champ, you know? And I know, and they're just selling it and selling it. And what are they doing? They're only showing you the good things. They don't want to talk about the bad things. And then in the context of relationship, you buy it, or really you put a ring on it, and then you get married. And then you go down a couple of months, and all of a sudden the passenger door is an opening. And you're like, what is this? And you're like, what is what? The door is broke. Oh, don't worry about the door. Anyways, you already bought it. You know what I'm saying? So just go with it now. And all of a sudden, over time, you begin to realize that in the context of how you understand love, it was really just focusing on the strengths. And you found joy and love in that because you ignored the weaknesses. You didn't really know that car. And all of a sudden we begin to have this tension because there was a moment when you were dating and it was all great and it was so romantic and he's a gentleman and she's a lady and then you get married and one day you go, what is going on? 
what is happening. This is, this is not like how it used to be. And all of a sudden you have this inability to be fully known and when your weaknesses, because you can't hide them for long, when your weaknesses begin to be seen by your spouse, what happens? Then you start pointing out the weaknesses across the aisle. Welcome to couples counseling. I just saved you thousands of dollars, okay? <laughs> just go meet your counselor, go, can we just step to session 10? We're not very vulnerable with each other. We only focus on our strengths and now we're accusing each other of our weaknesses, help us. You know, that'll save you a grand right there, okay? It's not what John has recorded Jesus saying. That's not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. For God so loved the world. For God so, you can make it very personal for you and for me. For God so loved the whole world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the Hebrews, uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for this kind of love is ahava. Ahava. The Greek word here is agape. It's a totally different kind of love. This is a love of the will, and it's unconditional. It's set apart. This is the kind of love that says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And you shouldn't romanticize that. I'm just telling you, there's a place for it, but this is not rose petals and chocolates and candles being lit. This is, I'm not going anywhere. I see you. I fully see you and I'm not going anywhere. This is the kind of love like, like when something's on fire, you know, and then there's a chair flying past your head and you're hunkered down and it's loud and it's chaotic and it feels like war. And in the middle of this whole thing, you just stand up and you just yell, I'm not going anywhere. This kind of love. For God so agape love, ahava love. It's a positional Love. It is a choice that I will not back down and I will not walk away. And so it's important to understand because many of us have this feeling that if somebody really knew me, they would not love me. And a lot of us bring in that idea into our relationship with God. And so in the context of our relationship with God, so many people spend so many days either lying to God and to you, to you or running away from God feeling as though if they were ever to be fully seen, then they will be fully rejected and fully judged. And yet Christmas shows up and goes, not true. <laughs> Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York City, gave a quote about the gospel. And the gospel is really just, for us Christian folks, is, is a term we use just to say the story of Jesus, the gospel, the truth, it, it, it's the core of our faith. Tim Keller said this, he said that the gospel the definition of, in the most simple form, would be this, fully known, fully loved. Fully known, fully loved. Meaning that in order to ever really be fully loved, you have to allow yourself to be fully known. And friends, that's tough to do, isn't it? A couple of years ago, I jumped into a, a covenant group. This is a group with, with pastors around the country, and the whole, the whole premise of this group is is to just to be honest and vulnerable with one another, to do life with one another because ministry can be tough. And if there's anybody, I'm telling you, in this room right now who, who so easily should and would want to fake it, it would be me. I mean, there's Jesus and then there's pastors. You know what I'm saying? We're perfect. All of you believe that except my family, okay? They are like, he ain't perfect. 
There's traps for pastors to fall into, same kind of traps that you would fall into that, that all of us probably, if we're honest, have some secrets. And so we jump into this covenant group and, and it's, it's designed to get into the deep end of the pool right away, to be completely vulnerable, open and honest, to be able to walk out of your first kind of retreat together and to be able to say to the group, I have no secrets and it is well with my soul. Now, if you attend church here, you, you know this. I've talked this about, about this before, but in the context of my relationships with other people, I have this thing inside of me in light of just a little bit of trauma growing up. My dad died when I was young. And, and so because of some of that disconnect in relationships, I have this thing inside of me that says to me in every relationship I'm in that you cannot hurt me. And if you do, I don't need you and I will push you away. And I've managed my relationships my whole life like that up to just a couple of years ago. And you can imagine that doesn't play well in marriage. You know what I mean? All of a sudden there was tension in all of my relationships. And it just so happens the same time I'm jumping into this group. And I remember thinking there is no way I wouldn't have said it like this, but this is what was happening. There is no way I'm going to allow these guys to fully know me. I'm not going to give these guys any ammunition to hurt me. And right before it was my time to share, I just felt, you know, it was just kind of God in, in, in the midst of our group. A couple other guys had already shared. And really, I was sitting there going, well, I'm not as screwed up as that guy. You know what I mean? I was just really feeling relieved a little bit. But I just remember thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. And our, our leader, Rick Grover, right before I was about to share, said, Matt, I just want to share a couple of things before you go. And one of the things he said, I couldn't believe it. He said, Matt, I want you to know that there was a rabbi one time. We don't know who it is, but there was a rabbi one time who said, how can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? I felt like God was saying, it's time. You should tell these guys. And I spent the next hour telling them everything. I mean, everything, the good and the bad, the darkest of the dark secrets that I would never tell you, okay? And here's what happened. Within 60 minutes, I experienced something I had never experienced in my whole life. I told these guys everything. And up to that point, that was the scariest thing I've ever, I had ever done. And each one of those guys looked at me and said, Matt, thanks for sharing, just so you know. Now, this is my version of what they said, but I'm rocking with you. I'm with you. I'm going to journey with you over the next three years. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. I love you and I'm with you. And it was really the first moment I think in my whole life I was fully known. Therefore, I was able to be fully loved. Can I just tell you the truth on this Christmas Eve? God knows you're screwed up. (laughs) You're not hiding it from him. You may hide it from the people around you. But I would argue not only in your personal relationship, but also in your relationship with God, until you allow yourself to be fully known by God, you will never experience the fullness of his love. I talk to so many people. You know, it's interesting in the context of church, there are so many people who life is going along and they're faking it till they make it. And all of a sudden their life blows up. And instead of running into the context of the church, you know, they run out. And they've got it backwards. (laughs) What is it like to stand before a holy God, a perfect God, in the midst of all your shortcomings, 
and failures, in the midst of all your shame and all your guilt, what is it like? It's like Christmas morning. It's like December 25th or somewhere around there, 2000 years ago, when God said, I see you, I know you, I'm going to be close to you because I love you. Fully known, fully loved. And if you don't know Jesus, I just wanna encourage you with this thought and then we're, I'm telling you, we're gonna light a candle in two minutes, okay? If you, I'm just telling you, if you don't believe that to be true, then you should go and get to know him because he knows you. Next Sunday, all of our services are online, sleep in, party, do bad things for New Year's. Then, okay, two weeks from now, two weeks from today, we're gonna start a, a series called Jesus, Who Is He? I haven't been excited about, you know, uh, the level of excitement for a sermon series in a long time. And we're just gonna take some time and get to know this guy who made some radical claims, and I'm telling you, knows you and loves you. And if you don't know that, then you should come back and you should check out this series. Jesus, the light entering to the darkness. Let me read these two verses and then we'll light. Here's what it is. John chapter one, verse nine. Here's the reminder, friends, of the radicalness of Christmas. It says this, the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he came into this very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And he came to his own people and even they rejected him. Verse 12, here is again the reminder again and again and again, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So tomorrow's December 25th. Isn't it interesting you know it's Jesus' birthday. <laughs> Even if you're not feeling like you're close to God, I'm telling you, God is close to you. And the day we celebrate Christmas is because somebody thought a couple thousand years ago that it would be good to remind ourselves that on the darkest day of the world, Jesus was born to bring light. The anticipation of love being born midst of darkness, in the midst of uncertainty, is at the heart of Christmas. So here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pray. After I pray, we're gonna stand. And I want us to light some candles. We're gonna sing a couple of songs. And you can go through this kind of traditional moment and, and step out, but I'd encourage you to lean in and to be reminded this season, the reason why you're lighting a candle is because Jesus was the ultimate light. And he did at Christmas because he knows you and he loves you. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning on this Christmas Eve, I thank you for the reminder of a story that is, it's a bit unbelievable. God moving towards us, sending his own son. And for those of us who believe we're, we're banking our whole lives on it, that little baby who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago had the power to forgive sins. So for those of us who believe this morning, we praise you. We are free people. And I pray that if there is any darkness inside of us, 
that this Christmas we would be reminded that we can step into the light. We don't have to run away from you. We don't have to act like we got it all together. You know us and you love us. So thank you. We love you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus.